you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Welcome back to the third and final episode of our five-year Win Women in Innovation celebration, where I have had the unique opportunity to discuss what it takes to create an innovation-focused, gender-gap-closing, decentralized, global nonprofit that is entirely volunteer-run. And if you thought that was a mouthful, imagine actually doing it. Also, if you haven't checked out episodes with the two WIN co-founders, Maria Patarojan and Alfia Ilicheva, make sure to give them a listen too, as well as today's episode. Today, I'm speaking to WIN's only full-time paid employee, and that is the Global Executive Director, Aubrey Fennekin. As I've mentioned before, Wynn is a secondary volunteer role for everyone in the org but her. And so as a part of growing this organization and its reach, uh, we hired on Aubrey. Aubrey is so unique and a truly empathetic leader. She brings years of nonprofit management experience, but also a background in theater and a true desire to make sure that the women on this team and in this community feel heard and seen and are fueling their efforts in the most optimal way to get them in those innovation leadership roles. On a personal note, I was lucky enough to be one of the people that got to play a small role in interviewing and bringing Aubrey on, and I feel so excited to have her on the podcast so everyone who is a win-win listener can see the amazing woman who helps initiatives like this podcast take off. While our five-year celebration ends here as far as podcast specials, I can't wait to keep on introducing you all to more and more women within our community that are really on the behind the scenes of closing the gender gap in innovation, but also running the day-to-day of this org. So keep your eyes open in this space. Before we go on, I especially want to shout out Haley Floyd, our global communications lead, who also has a podcast episode, which you should check out. Alex Ma, who is our social media manager, Gabby Andrade, who was our marketing strategy manager, as well as Nicole Beckley, who writes brand copy for the podcast. Without further ado, here is Aubrey. Hello, Aubrey. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, Zoya. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's a very exciting month. As you know, throughout this month, uh, the Win Win Podcast has been running this mini-series honoring our five-year win anniversary where I've had the chance to interview the Win co-founders, Maria and Alfia, and now I get the chance to interview you. Oh, man, that is some, some difficult shoes to follow. Maria and Alfia are amazing. Yes, big DNA for this uh, organization. But uh, (laughs) this interview is incredibly special and important because as we celebrate the past as innovators, we never stop looking to the future. Your background spans a variety of experience within theater and the nonprofit space, but you are new to innovation. So how did you come across WIN and decide to apply? (laughs) I attended a WIN event um, early on in quarantine, a virtual event. Uh, and was just so blown away and impressed by the organization, uh, the community, 
feeling in a virtual moment was really quite special. And then I came across the uh, posting for the executive director role. And I was stunned to find that a lot of the things that the organization needed actually really aligned with my experience. And so it just felt very serendipitous. Do you remember off the top of your head what event it was? Oh my gosh. You know, it, it was like early days in quarantine. And I believe the San Francisco chapter ran it, but it was about like you know, setting boundaries or like taking care of yourself in, you know, the work from home environment. Yeah, there was a ton of programming that we ran early on about saying no and setting boundaries. So I think as as applicable as, as it is to innovation, it's hugely applicable to everything else. But I'm sure working with so many in, women in innovation now, you've learned a ton about the industry. So what has been most interesting or surprising to you? What has been most surprising is how quickly uh, the industry has changed. So, you know, when WIM was founded, we were really centered in this agency culture that, you know, you had a lot of consulting firms that were specifically focused on innovation. And today, you've got this explosion of corporations that have innovation in-house, and you have, you know, innovation departments. And so the definition of innovation as, I guess, a a field or a practice is really expanded. But innovation in the sense that you're creating something novel um, has just kind of really caught on. And so it's very exciting to see that growth, having not actually lived through it, but to to see it in retrospect is, is really exciting. Yeah. And as a professional organization, people within the company or people within the nonprofit are constantly switching around roles. And you're probably seeing their growth trajectory as you go along, too, which is a big part of our mission. But you mentioned that you have this really you know, applicable background uh, from the nonprofit space. And we mentioned theater a little bit. So I guess for our listeners who don't have a nonprofit career, how do you approach structuring a nonprofit career? Like what does moving from one nonprofit to the other really mean? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And I, to be perfectly honest, I didn't have a game plan. Like I, I never had a five-year plan of like, I'm going to work in a nonprofit. When I moved to New York, I wanted to work in theater. I wanted to be a Broadway producer. That was kind of my my end goal. Um, and I started working for a small children's theater company in uh, Lower Manhattan. And they were so broke. <laughs> and it, it, mm-hmm. was, it was really heartbreaking to see these incredible artists who were just like, working their their hearts and souls off and and making very little and the company was duct taping things together um and so i started to get interested in fundraising and and how that works and how you can fund a nonprofit organization like this one specifically in arts to begin with and re- just really kind of fell in love with the ability to connect passionate people with the resources they need to do amazing work. Um, and that's sort of how I, I landed into to nonprofits more generally. So I, I, I have a master's of fine arts and performing arts management, and I really focused on fundraising there. Um, I started working for a Broadway theater company, um, Manhattan Theater Club, which is one of the largest nonprofits on, on Broadway. And, um, and I, I loved it. I, I got to, you know, raise money for people to create incredible, incredible works of art. But I started to feel like what I was raising money for wasn't quite as impactful as I wanted it to be. You know, there are some theaters that are doing really, really exceptional, like 
game-changing, world-challenging um, art. And I just, it didn't feel like where I was was quite the right fit for my personal passions. It's um, the innovator <laughs> in you. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I joined a financial coaching company, actually, which is a total, total, you know, 180 from my previous career in nonprofit, where they provide free financial coaching to low-income uh, New Yorkers. And now they're actually a national organization, too, which is really exciting to see. But yeah, it really kind of lit this this fire for me of of wanting to be really clear about the impact that an organization can have, and I've just continued down that road ever since. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting that the part that at the beginning excited you was actually fundraising because I think again to those that don't do fundraising on a regular basis including myself, to me it feels like such a sales heavy job and I think such a challenge because I do think as women it's so hard for us to talk about our own salaries let alone ask people for money for other people. I mean, just saying it out loud gives me anxiety. So how was your fundraising journey and how did you learn to to do it? Or was it something innate to you? Oh, gosh, it, it definitely wasn't innate. I, um, I will say having trained as an actor was kind of good practice for fundraising because you face a lot of rejection. You have to go out in front of people and like sell something, which is a character right. in an audition. You're, you're trying to like sell a character and, you know, nine times out of 10 actors are not getting that one role, you know, that's the business of, of being an actor is more auditioning than it is actually right, yeah. <laughs> playing roles in a lot of ways. And so, you know, just being comfortable with putting myself out there and hearing no, I think kind of primed me to be a fundraiser. But no, I, you know, I was really lucky. Um, I landed a position and just kind of really enjoyed um, telling the story of a nonprofit, which is another key element of fundraising is telling mm-hmm. the story and so that started to resonate. And then I had some really, really excellent professors uh, at Brooklyn College where I got my master's that kind of helped me shape and, and understand that. And then they taught me how to think about fundraising as something that's truly uh, compassionate and is, is connecting with other people. And so it's really kind of, it's matchmaking in a way. You're figuring out for whom is this cause really important and for whom does this resonate and how can I connect them with this important work that is going to change uh, the world in some way or make the world more beautiful or um, more equitable or what have you. And would you say fundraising is different for men or women? Because I mean, you spoke about some of these things that sound innate to, again, women, like being compassionate about selling, whereas I feel like closing the deal, it's like honestly toxic masculinity, but I'm not going to go down that path. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny that you ask, and um, I don't know the latest statistics, but I, I do know for a long time, fundraising, similar um, to many other fields, fundraising at like entry level, management level um, is heavily dominated by women. But when you look at like, who are chief development officers at the largest nonprofits in the United States, the majority of them are men, um, Mm. which I find to be a really, really interesting dynamic. There are so many different ways to fundraise. And I think that that different channels really resonate with different people. Some folks are really excellent at analytics, and that can be really helpful if you're doing online fundraising and really understanding, you know, how to how to motivate a, a crowd crowdfunding campaign versus um, grant writing, which is a totally different skill set. So for me, it really doesn't feel like sales. It feels like it feels like matchmaking, like finding finding where the priorities align. It's, I guess, a little bit more like business development 
Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, like you said, I think if you do fundraising right, it should be mutually beneficial versus sales feels like you're actually, you know, forcing something onto somebody else, which obviously we never want to do. Thinking about the last five years of win and the next five, I think, you know, the the biggest difference is that you are our only full-time employee working with an all-volunteer organization. So as you came into the organization and have now seen it through, what are some strategies or approaches that you've used to manage this very unique working model? <laughs> yeah, I, the first thing I want to say on that is it is just mind-blowing to me how much Wynn has accomplished over the last five years completely with the the volunteered time and talents of women working in innovation. Like that in and of itself is like, wow, um, it's really incredible. You've got hundreds of hours of innovation programming that have been delivered to thousands of women um, across New York, San Francisco, and London, and now globally via online. Um, And so just like really honoring the fact that volunteers can do absolutely anything and and completely change the world. Yeah, it's interesting coming on as the first full-time employee um, and trying to, to figure out, you know, how we, we need to, we want to grow the organization because we want to grow the impact that we can have. We want to close the gender gap in innovation. Um, and you can do a lot uh, with a full volunteer team, but at a certain point, you kind of have to have someone who can answer uh, calls and email emails full time to be driving things forward. Maria spoke about this notion about how like in many ways, wind comes into your life when you most need it. And as a career professional, you give it your all, but it also gives you some of these skills that you maybe otherwise wouldn't have had. But to your point, that's kind of like temporary. I, I think that there's an element that it's t- is temporary. So there are some things that like over time, hopefully we'll have full-time staff members dedicated to, but I do think that Wynn will always have a really robust volunteer base. And I think that's really important because the people who are closest to a problem are the best able to solve it. And so women who are working in innovation know better than anyone what challenges are, are being faced um, and what what can help, you know, help them advance in their careers and kind of close this leadership gap. So I think the volunteers will always be critical to win. Yeah, I agree. And and it's true because even in innovation and in design thinking, you always talk about like human-centered design and being empathetic to your user. We don't even have to be empathetic because it's it's us. We're the problem or we're the ones facing the problem. Something else I wonder about though is the greatest challenge for Win versus the greatest challenge for you. Oh, that's a great question. I, I would say the greatest challenge for, for Win is figuring out how to scale our impact. That's the mission. And so that's the priority. And it's definitely the most important thing. Um, And figuring out, you know, we've had an incredible impact on women over the last five years, but we really want to expand that. And we really do want to be like, truly closing that gender gap. Um, So figuring out how to scale the magic of when currently, I think is probably the biggest challenge right now, or the biggest question, and how to do that for when. Yeah, so for me, the biggest challenge so far, uh, especially since I'm uh, about six months in to the role, has been figuring out all of the different pieces of this organization and, and truly understanding them and how they interconnect and work together. When is is really robust for an organization that's 
fully volunteer run. I'm, I, there are more than 30 volunteers across, you know, across the country, um, across the globe working on this. And so figuring out, you know, where are all of the pieces uh, of this magic machine and how exactly do they, they work has been a, a, a challenge to uncover. Totally. And actually something you brought up with this notion of scaling, right? Like we talk about bigger is better, but you and I have had a conversation in the past where you've said to me, you know, a big part of my role is putting the brakes on things. And I think that that's really interesting. <laughs> How do you put the brakes on things in order to scale things? So I'd really love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So this comes down to needing to have a really strong foundation and a really strong infrastructure in order to be able to withstand scaling. So if you scale without those things in place, it can crush the organization um, and totally implode. And so right now, a lot of what I'm doing is trying to slow everything down just a little bit um, so that we can build that strong foundation and understand, you know, what's our real core? Where do we move the needle most effectively? Um, and then let's double down on those strategies that we know work and that we know we do really well. So that's kind of the philosophy there. The thing about when, and I think people who listen to this podcast, they see speakers and these awesome conversations happen. And But then when I think about like my morning walks and as I make my to-do lists in my head, I'm like, oh, I have to tell Aubrey about this and about that. And then, I, and then taking a step back, I'm like, how many people in this organization go through the same thought process and how many inbound asks do you have? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I believe it. But most recently, there have been a, a ton of new initiatives. So what are some models or offerings you're personally curious about exploring? Maybe not even necessarily for when at this time. Ooh, yeah, I love I love this. You ask great questions, Zoya. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, some models I'm really excited about exploring. Um, one would be putting together volunteer teams, perhaps of uh, more junior women in innovation, to kind of in a consulting model, support with a nonprofit that needs to innovate a solution um, that they're they're struggling with. And so finding a way to kind of, one, create an opportunity for women to uh, flex their innovation muscle in a in an environment that creates social good, uh, but also solves a problem for a nonprofit. So giving giving women perhaps a little bit earlier in their careers um, a mentor to guide them through a project would be really exciting for me. Yeah, so that's one model. I, I'm also really curious about models that we can approach to solve this problem from the top down. So right now, a lot of our solutions are focused on giving women the tools they need to advance. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really important. But there are also a lot of barriers that are held at the top. So with innovation employers and investors. Um, and so I think changing their perceptions and challenging them to invest in their employees, to invest in women founders and startups um, is something that's important to me. And figuring out how WIN can be uh, influencing that is, is a big question for me as well. I think it's a huge opportunity space, especially because a lot of these corporate decisions are made behind a closed veil. And so pulling that veil back, maybe not to the entire world, but to those parties and entities like Wynn that really want to help, I think would make a huge, a huge difference. And also, we've seen the success of the 15% pledge uh, by Aurora James when we are looking at the way that she's really held companies to a standard, and it's very black or white. 
The initial idea that you mentioned was involving women that are more junior. If you look at WIN and you look at the ambassadors and the leadership, it is women that are a lot, are a lot more senior. So what sort of opportunities are you interested in giving women in addition to the consulting that you mentioned and, and really diving into our, our fellows program? What opportunity do you see with that? So I think there's a real opportunity for WIN to support women across the pipeline. So we know that it's hard to break into innovation. And so providing women who are earlier in their careers with um, exposure and access to opportunities to flex their muscles so they can then bring, you know, for example, a case study back to a potential employer when they don't yet have that experience. So things that provide that opportunity for more junior women are certainly a priority. We're looking to kind of expand our fellows program to include some kind of structural um, educational or mentorship um, mm-hmm. beyond what it currently is. I mean, it, it's already a wonderful opportunity to work with women and stretch your muscles uh, and, and be mentored by, of course, a win leader. But I do think that there's an opportunity for maybe some testing out different roles within win or trying different projects as a part of being a fellow. Um, or perhaps, you know, bringing in speakers who are just going to talk to the fellows would be really interesting. I don't want to forget, though, about senior women. You know, we know that when you have women in leadership, they are more likely to bring up other women um, and diverse people from the organizational pipeline. Um, and so we want to make sure that women stay in their their leadership roles and that more women are moving up to leadership. Um, and so it's really important for us to figure out how to support them as well. So with that, as you know, we are celebrating five years of WIN. So just like all the innovators on my show, I would really love to ask you an innovation question. And that question is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and for this special edition, five years from now? <laughs> I love that. Well, after the year that we've had, um, I, I'm wary to predict the future. However, mm-hmm. um, I will give it my best. Um, so one month from now, I'm really hopeful that we'll be rolling out new offerings at WIN uh, that will you know, resonate with women and provide new opportunities to close that gender gap. Um, one year from now, I hope that we are all really aware of uh, the gender gap and, quite frankly, the the lack of overall diversity in innovation leadership um, and that the full you know, suite of innovation leaders, whether it be corporate, startup, venture, agency, are all united with us in, in wanting to, to close that, close those gaps and, and to make innovation more equitable. Because it's really important if you are creating the novel products, processes, systems of the future, that you have people who are reflective of our world in that room creating those things. So I hope that in a year, everyone is having this conversation um, with us um, and is, is kind of partnered with us on that. And then five years from now, you know, I hope that when, and I hope that innovation, um, honestly, it would be great if we could put ourselves out of a job, right? If when, if we, <laughs> we could reach equity in five years, no pressure. that would be exciting. Um, <laughs> I think that that's probably a bit strong, but I, I would love to see that we've made really significant progress, you know, whether it's 30%, whether it's 50%, I would really love to see us closer to that in five years. Um, and I would love for when to have been a really key part of that. Yeah. And how about yourself? Oh, me personally. So in a month from now, I hope I am soaking up some more sun because I'm tired of winter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A year from now, a year from now, you know, I think 
working really closely across the innovation um, landscape to solve this problem. I hope we're really like elbows deep in this work in building equity and innovation. Um, And then five years from now, I hope uh, we don't have to work as hard and that it's kind of taken on a life of its own and that there's a robust community of women innovators uh, across the globe connected through WIN um, and it runs a little bit more like clockwork. That would be exciting. Yeah. And considering that there's also such a huge alumni network of, you know, women and innovation success stories that are a part of WIN. So like you said, it it hopefully is just a clockwork of alumni and success stories one after the other. Yes, it would be so good if we could just kind of, you know, snowball, snowball the, the gender equity. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Aubrey, for joining us on the Win Win podcast and happy five years to win. Happy five years to win too. Thanks, Zoya. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.